Okay, so what are the basic characteristics that define each board texture, and what should we be looking for? It's pretty simple, really. Each board texture is defined by its level of suitedness, connectedness, and rank. Suitedness is categorized in terms of whether it's rainbow, two-tone, or monotone. The connectedness of a board is defined by how many straights or straight draws there are, as well as the vulnerability of the nut straight. Last, the rank of a board is based on how high or low the cards on the board are. And I included this quick stat to give you an idea of what the overall distribution of board textures looks like in terms of suitedness. Now, memorizing this stat won't make you a ton of money, because after all, you can't control the cards you're dealt or which flops are spread. But something that's useful to take away is to notice how rainbow hands are devalued post-flop. For example, if we know that 60% of all board textures are monotone or have flush draws on them, that means that you're going to be fighting one hell of an uphill battle when holding a rainbow hand, especially in multi-way pots. And this doesn't even count for the fact that rainbow hands don't pick up backdoor flush draws either. Okay, the first thing we're going to do is go over some terminology to make sure that we're both on the same page. The first definition is wetness, which is defined in poker terms as the degree to which a board makes draws to straights and flushes possible. Something I've noticed from serving the forums and doing a bunch of coaching is that a lot of players use the term wetness way too loosely, almost to the point where they label any two-tone board as being a wet board. But you and I both know that all wet boards aren't created equally, so how can we describe the difference in wetness between two different two-tone boards like Jack-5-3 and King-Jack-8? Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you heaviness. Heaviness is the degree to which a board interacts with the hands in people's preflop ranges, and basically what it does is fill in the language gap that we just pointed out a second ago. You'll get a better picture of how all of this stuff fits together once you see the hand examples in the next few slides, but for now simply realize that when we say that a board is heavier, it means that the preflop ranges of our opponents are likely to hammer that particular board texture. More specifically, heavier boards contain big cards, and lighter boards contain lower cards. Easy game, right? The last term I want to explain before we go any further is useful because it gives us a way to quantify the vulnerability of the current nuts. Again, this will all be much clearer once you see the next few slides, but for now just realize that calling a board dynamic implies that the current nuts are likely to change by the river. But on the other hand, saying that a board is static means that the current nuts are unlikely to change by the river. Okay, what we're going to do now is use the definitions we just learned by describing the different dynamics on a few different categories of boards. Now, remember that the overall goal is to get you to the point where you're familiar with what kinds of ranges hit each board the hardest and most often, or for that matter, the least often as well, in addition to what kinds of hands drive the action. For example, on the heavy dry boards like Ace-King-6 Rainbow and Ace-Jack-5 Rainbow, the way that players get stacks in the middle tends to be when two made hands collide, because there really aren't very many draws that people can semi-bluff with. The only reasonable draw you can have on this board is the inside wrap Queen-Jack-10x, which as you'll find out in Lesson 11, is a pretty specific hand combination. Also, as I pointed out in the last slide, the primary feature that defines a heavy board is the presence of Broadway cards, and one of the main things that separates heavy boards from light boards is the presence of sets in people's ranges. Most players either raise, limp, or call with all combinations of big pairs. So when you see players shoveling money into the pot, most of the time it's going to be with top two pair or better on the heavy dry boards. You can also imagine how the action, as well as players' ranges, are altered depending on what the preflop action is like. For example, this board hits most players' 3-bet ranges pretty hard, but it doesn't hit a wide late position opening range nearly as much. 
So when you're reading the board and considering a bluff in any given situation, the goal is to keep players' preflop ranges in mind. And if you find yourself confused by the terminology, or you don't know how to tell the difference between which boards are heavy, light, wet, or dry, then here's another way to look at it. Whenever you're looking at a board, just ask yourself, if I have the nuts on this board, how many hands are there that have decent equity against me? The nuts on dry and heavy boards generally have a ton of equity, while on the other hand, the nuts on wet heavy boards generally have much less equity in comparison. You'll get a better feel for this as we make it through the rest of the slides. But for example, on this board, if you hold a set of aces, there's only a few hands that have any equity against you. Now, heavy wet boards have a much different dynamic than the heavy dry boards because there's so many hands to semi-bluff with. In single raised pots on the heavy dry boards, generally players see at the flop and then try to get the showdown when someone calls them. Because like I said, there's really not that many medium strength hands that are willing to play for more than two streets of betting, nor are there many hands to, to barrel as a semi-bluff with. But these boards are a completely different animal, because no matter what you're holding, it's tough to have absolutely zero equity on these boards. The main thing to understand about the heavy wet boards like Jack-10-6, Ace-10-9, and King-Jack-8 two-tone is that when stacks go in, the nuttiness of your draw is extremely important. If what I'm saying about the number of semi-bluffs is true, then that means that getting your money in with a dominated flush draw or a straight draw against a flush draw will cost you a lot of money. To be specific, hands like bare non-nut wraps or bottom set with no redraws don't have very much value on these boards. And going by the method I described a second ago of identifying how wide the range is that has good equity against the nuts, we can see that there's a ton of hands on boards like this that have equity against a set of jacks. And in fact, there's even some hands that have more equity than a bare set of jacks on this board like ace-king-queen-nine with a flush draw. And remember, if you want to know more about all of the important equity matchups, then you should definitely check out your PLO Quick Pro Equity Simulations document. The next board texture to look over are the light-dry boards. 9-4-deuce-rainbow, jack-7-3-rainbow, 8-3-deuce-rainbow, and 5-4-deuce-rainbow are all good examples of light-dry boards. Now, even though these boards and the ace-king-six-rainbow boards are both considered to be dry boards, the main difference is that the likelihood of players showing up with sets is greatly reduced, because most players don't play low-pocket low pairs nearly as often as the bigger ones. Also, overpairs have a lot of value on boards like this, but it definitely depends on how big your overpair is, because, for example, if you have bare jacks on 9-4-deuce-rainbow, then you're in very bad shape against a bigger overpair. But in general, these boards are great for situations like 3-bet pots when you have an overpair, because not only do people fold a lot to your c-bet, you're also doing pretty well against their stack-off ranges. Additionally, since there aren't that many made hands on these board textures, the equities between hands runs closer together because there's a big mix of overcards, random straight draws, and pair plus side cards that have anywhere between 35 and 50% equity against overpairs and other similar hands that are willing to put money into the pot. Light wet boards are similar in the sense that most players' preflop ranges don't hit these boards as often as the heavier boards. But the biggest difference to note is the presence of more straight and flush draws. 10-4-3, 9-6-4, and 7-6-3 with flush draws are all good examples of boards that are considered to be light wet. And even though the likelihood that someone has a monster draw here is reduced, the fact remains that the majority of hands that are willing to put money into the pot will be a variety of combo draws, like pair plus flush draws. Simply put, just like the heavy wet board on the last slide, the nuttiness of your combo draw matters a lot if you're playing for stacks, because the odds that someone has a set on a light wet board is pretty low, which means that the majority of their stack off range is weighted towards combo draws. And when stacks aren't flying across the felt, 
The action in single-raised pots involves a lot of floating and maneuvering on later streets, particularly by the player in position, who should basically try to represent whatever the player out of position can't have. And if you want more information on this, then you should definitely check out Lesson 10, titled Post-Flop Warfare. Let's take a couple of steps back for a second. Earlier we made the distinction between labeling boards as dynamic or static, and in case you need a refresher, the current nuts on dynamic boards are likely to change by the river, whereas with static boards, the opposite is true. The differences between a static board and a dynamic board are easy enough to understand, but it's important enough for what we're talking about that I wanted to show you some examples of what the varying degrees of dynamic and static boards are. Now, the point of this lesson isn't to teach you everything there is to know about board textures. I'll leave that job for Mr. Chambers. The point of all of this is to encourage you to get in the habit of thinking about how different ranges interact with each board texture. I've mentioned before how one of the biggest leaks I've seen from beginners is being too scared of the nuts, regardless of what the board texture is. Put more simply, there's a big difference between being scared of the nuts and aware of the nuts. Good players are aware of the nuts, but that doesn't mean they're going to let someone scare them into folding the best hand, because they understand how different preflop ranges interact with each board texture. For example, when they see a pot-sized check-raise on a 4-4 deuce rainbow board from an aggressive player, the first instinct isn't to fold because they're scared of trip fours. The first thought is, okay, he doesn't have trips here very much, so how can I get the most value out of his air? And actually, that brings up a good point that I'd like to expand on before we move forward. If you want to take something away from this lesson, just remember that the profit on dynamic boards comes from dominating the hand versus range equity matchups, and getting value with your made hands at showdown, whereas the profit on static boards comes from bluffing, since opponents don't flop a piece as often on the static boards. Put more simply, the battle on static boards is won by the players that have their opponent's tendencies dialed, as well as the flopping frequencies for strong hands. Does that make sense? Okay, let's move on. Hey, what's going on guys? Casino Crime here. Now if you like this video and you want more, then go ahead and click the subscribe button below right now. And if you want to join me for more of my 6 max success secrets and free video tutorials, just click the link to the right. See you inside the trainings. Good luck.